Heavenly Father, thank you for John. Thank you for his family. Thank you for the way that uh, they have become a part of us here at Gateway. Uh, Lord, I pray that he would know your blessing, your favor, and your enjoyment as he preaches this morning. We bless him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's see. Am I on here? Okay, well, I'm going to start with a quiz today. And the quiz starts with what book of the Bible are we studying this summer? Uh, Sorry, who said that? Okay, I have prizes today. I have freezies. Okay. Okay. So, second question. The, The first Sunday we talked about the book of Psalms. Just a minute, I'll get a few of these out so I'm ready. The first Sunday, um, Dave Perry spoke, and he talked about the word psalms. What does the word psalm mean? Songs. Is that yours? There you go. Okay, but he also said that the psalms were something to the Israelites. They were the something of worship. What was that? Somebody over here said it. Fuel. Fuel for worship. Did you? So Dave got us started thinking about the Psalms and how they, how they inspire us. Then the next week, somebody preached about the fact that we are royalty. Who preached that Sunday? Hey, bingo. You want a crazy? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, Walter, you should have had that one. I, I won't give that one. I, not, I'm throwing it on the floor. Um, <laughs> okay, my next question. Um, oh, the next week, you know, this, is a, this one's hard because it's true or false. Um, the, the true part is that Andrea preached on Psalm 23. But the true or false question is, she told us that sheep are highly intelligent creatures. False. false. That's right. I think that's uh, Alex back here. Although you can have one too. That's right. She told us that sheep actually are not that intelligent. In fact, they will follow another sheep off a cliff just because they're sheep. And talked about how Psalm 23 tells us God is our shepherd and keeps us from doing that. And now they're, she didn't draw any implications between the fact that we're called sheep and sheep are not intelligent. But now last week, Art Alexander spoke. And he told us that if you took all the people in South Gateway who fell asleep during the service and you laid them end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. Exactly. I think both Ryan and Chris get ones for that. Actually, Art took us through uh, Psalm 1 and looked at the prosperity of the believer and how those who are anchored and rooted in God are... uh, those who are anchored and rooted in God will prosper. They will bear fruit. They will, uh, they will grow rich in God's, in God's mercies. Well, that's the end of my quiz. I'm not giving out any more freezes for a little while. But I have some for after the service, so bear with me and we'll, we'll get there. And I've had several people tell me to keep it short because it's hot in here. So, <laughs> You notice I moved the pulpit down from up there because even those two steps, the heat rises. So I'm going to start, though, with a question. Now, this is not a quiz question, but this is a question for you. And my question is, where is your harp today? And you're going, harp? Do I, I don't even have a harp. Or maybe you're saying, how do you know I have a harp? 
No, I'm asking you, where is your harp? We're going to look at two psalms. You're getting a double barrel today. We're going to look at two psalms. But talk about where your harp is. Because sometimes you come to church in the morning and you are ready to sing. You cannot help but sing. There is just something bubbling up inside you. Life is good. God is good. You feel his blessings and you know his blessings. And you are just ready to sing. You have your harp in your hand and you are ready to go. And then there's other times when things are not going that well. God has, well, it feels like God has abandoned you. It feels like the world has conspired against you. It feels like everything in life has gone wrong. And you have taken your harp and you have thrown it as far as you can in the bush and there is no way you're going to be able to sing. And my question for you today, and we're going to look at a psalm for each of those, because you know what? On the days when everything is going well and it's exciting and God is with you, there's a psalm for that. And on those days when everything has fallen apart and your core being has been ripped out from inside you and you don't know where God is in this, there's a psalm for that too. And that's the message I want you to take home today, is that there's a psalm for whatever we're feeling. And we're going to look at two of them, two psalms, which are the best of times and they're the worst of times. We're actually going to start with the worst of times and we'll get better by the end. But we're going to look at Psalm 137 and 126. And we'll get them up here in a little bit. But to understand these two psalms and where they come from, you have to understand a little bit of Israel's history. So I'm going to run you through maybe a thousand years of Israel's history in the next couple of minutes. And I don't know how well you can see this. But let me explain it to you quickly. Israel was a, a nation, a group of people, the descendants of Israel. They'd ended up in Egypt. Moses brought them out of Egypt because God had promised the land of Israel to them. And they made it to Israel, to the land of Palestine, and set up a, a nation there. And they were ruled by judges for a bunch of years. And that's that uh, first part on the left, where it says Moses, and there's kind of a black line that runs across. And there were judges that ruled Israel for, for hundreds of years. But Israel always wanted a king, because everybody around them had a king. And they nagged God and nagged God. And finally, Samuel, one of the, the last judges, one of the last judge, um, under God's instruction, gave them a king, the king Saul. So Saul was the first king. After Saul came David. And we've talked already in the Psalms that David wrote a bunch of these Psalms, but he was one of the, the or he was the second king. Then after him came Solomon. And, after, and that was kind of the, the peak of Israel's glory. They were a united kingdom. They ruled in that, part of, in that part of the Middle East. They had huge land. Solomon built this fantastic temple, and a temple like nobody had seen before for worshiping God. And they were at their peak. Solomon passed away. His son... Jeroboam took over. No, I'm... Rehoboam took over. And another guy named Jeroboam challenged him. And suddenly we had a civil war going on in Israel. And Israel eventually split into two kingdoms. And that's where the black line goes into two parts there. One we call the Northern Kingdom, and it was actually ten of Abraham's kids, sons. The ten tribes of Israel are in the north. And two of them in the south become what we call Judah. So then there were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And you don't have to know all this detail, but they, they each had competing kings and there were prophets that came and spoke to both of them. And sometimes they were allied with each other and sometimes they fought against each other. But the kingdom of Israel 
strayed farther and farther from God over time. And the, uh, so I'll just, in my, as I think about the Old Testament history, David ruled to about 1000 BC. So a thousand years before Christ. So that for me is a little anchor that I know about when this took place. So he was about a thousand. He was before that and up to a little bit after that. And then Solomon. But by 700 BC, God had gotten tired of the Israelites not following him. They had strayed far, far from God. The kings had led them astray. They worshipped idols. They did all kinds of horrible things. They did not follow God at all. They married with the, the people around them, and they started following his other religions. And finally, God said, okay, you know what? I've been telling you this for a long time. I've sent you prophet after prophet to tell you that this is wrong. I'm tired of this. And God sent in an invading army that came in and attacked them and actually conquered all those ten tribes of Israel and packed up the people, chained them up, dragged them across the desert into Assyria. Now, Assyria is kind of northwest of Israel, northeast of Israel. Actually, you want to do the next one, Shannon? So Assyria is kind of to the north and to the east. And people, that purple arrows, people got taken from Israel out of there and taken across the desert to be put in, in the area of Assyria. <clears throat> and the Assyrians actually brought people back in to live in the area that, that, um, where the Israelites had been. So they mixed people up, and that's in the New Testament we talk about Samaritans. Samaritans are some of those people that got brought back in again. So they weren't Jewish. Sometimes they followed a bit of the Jewish religion. And there was all kinds of, pe- I mean, all kinds of things happened in that period. But they, people escaped and went into the southern kingdom. Some people got taken away. Some people stayed there. But God, God had had enough of northern Israel, <clears throat> the kingdom of Israel. Now, the kingdom of Judah, maybe you can flip back one, Sydney. The kingdom of Judah is on the bottom part here. They went longer. They had kings that ruled, and they were better at following God and keeping God and keeping the people focused on God. They had Jerusalem and the temple, and so worship around the temple continued. But it took some time, and they got farther and farther and farther from God. And God sent prophets and explained to them what was going on. God warned them. The whole, what had happened to the kingdom of Israel was a pretty strong visual aid to say, look what happens if you don't follow God. And the it was about 135 years later, after Israel had fallen, God had said, okay, that's enough, Jerusalem and Judah. <clears throat> you have strayed far from me. Punishment is coming. And so by then, in the Middle East, it wasn't the Assyrians who were ruling anymore. It was the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came in and attacked Judah. And they fought through Judah. They got to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had big walls, and they stayed outside the wall, and they tried to break through. And eventually they broke in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple, they knocked down the walls, they burned all the houses, they cleaned out the place. People in Jerusalem at the time, it was a horrible place to live because there's this invading army surrounding them. They ran out of food, they ran out of water, they ate anything that was edible, they killed all the animals, there is nothing left. By the time the the enemy soldiers came in, they had just devastated. Lots of people died in the siege, lots of people died in the attack, And those that survived were chained together and marched across the desert. So we'll flip back to the next one. And into Babylon, which is farther south. So it's just about straight east from Israel. So the green lines, they got marched across the desert into Babylon. So Israel, the ten tribes, and Judah, the two tribes, by five, what is it, five, I should be wearing my glasses, 586. 
had been taken away. So 500 years, 450 years after, after David, they'd been hauled out of their land and taken away. And that's where we come, come to Psalm 137. <clears throat> so here's these people who arrive in a, in a strange country, having watched, probably they all had family members killed. Some of them had died in the siege of the city. Some of them had died on the desert on the way there. They got to, to, or they got to Babylon as captives. And they're sitting there looking at each other, completely destroyed. These are people for whom nothing has gone right in the last while. Everything has gone wrong. And they start in Psalm 137. I'm going to read the first, the first few verses. Starts out, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy, and they said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Here was a people who had lost everything. Their homes had been destroyed, all their possessions were gone. They just had marched across weeks and weeks and weeks across the desert. They landed in some city that some area they didn't know. People spoke a different language. They had nothing. They'd all lost family members. We talk nowadays about post-traumatic stress disorder. These people would have had it. In fact, they dreamt on and on and on about what had happened. When those soldiers came through the walls, it must have been a horrible, horrible way for a city to be destroyed. There were no Geneva Conventions on the rights of the prisoner at that point. There was no rules of war. It was a bunch of men who'd been away from home for a bunch of months, fighting their way through Judah to Jerusalem, broke through the walls, got inside, killed men and women and children, raped the women, took anything they could. They burned down the houses, they destroyed the walls, and then they hauled the people away. And so here, these, this totally crushed nation of Israel, sitting in the desert with nothing, and they're thinking, how, how can we do anything with our harps? How can we sing anything? God had promised them that they would have a kingdom in Israel forever. And they'd blown that. And they'd been taken away and that was gone too. So here they've lost everything they own. They've lost people in their families. They've personally been abused. And now they've also thinking, where is God in all this? He had promised us this and now he left us. We have nothing and then, to add to that, their, their captors start making fun of them. Hey, you guys, you're known for your singing. Sing us a song. Come on, sing us one of the songs about Zion. You'll, you'll entertain us a little bit. How do you think they felt about those people? Don't you know what we've been through, how badly crushed we are? Our world has collapsed around us. And here they are tormenting us, getting, trying to get us to sing. It says they hung their harps on the poplars. I think they probably had thrown their harps away a long time before that. They had nothing to sing about. And here they are in Babylon. What could they do but weep?
If we keep reading in Psalm 137, it says, How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. How can I sing a song in this condition? Now, just one word of apology. Those of you who have a Boney M song running through your head at this point, I'm sorry about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you weren't listening to the radio in the 70s, and that's okay. But there's a Boney M did a song based on this psalm. How can we sing songs in a strange land? But here they are in this terrible place. God has abandoned them. They've lost everything that they defined. They were the nation of Israel. They were to be a blessing to other nations. They were to always have the land that they were going to live in. And all of that got wiped out. And here they are in this strange land with nothing to sing about. Now Dave, when he preached a few weeks ago, talked about the book of Psalms. And that some of the songs are laments. They're not all praise and worship songs. Some of them are laments. This one clearly is a lament. These people are just crying over what has happened to them. But then the psalm gets worse. It turns from despair and weeping to anger and hatred. These are the last verses of this song, psalm. And... When you read it, you're going to think, why does God even put this in the Bible? Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did to us on the day that Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear down its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is not a worship song. Well, I don't know. I was thinking about this because Dave told us that this, is the, this was the book of songs that the Israelites sang. Maybe I'll ask Amber, do you know any worship songs like this? Is a Hill song writing any like this or the Wren Collective? They say, remember, God, what happened to us? These people came in. They tore down the gates of our city. They tore down the walls of your temple, that fantastic temple that that Solomon had built, you, they desecrated it, they stole everything out of it, they knocked it down, they burned it. The whole city was destroyed. God, remember them. God, remember them. God, we will cheer when somebody comes and does to them what they did to us. What's this doing in the Bible? Why did Israel decide to put this as part of their songbook? Well, the best answer I've come up with is, you know what? God can take it. God can hear those kinds of songs. God can hear our laments. And he says, don't pretend to sing a song to me when you are angry and frustrated, when everything has gone wrong in your life. Don't come and pretend that you're happy to sing to me and, you know, you know God is blessing me and I'm just going to sing about it. No, God can take it. God wants to hear from us when we are in the worst of times. The worst day ever. God wants to hear from us at that point. And for Israel, this was the worst day ever. This was everything that they had built their life on, they trusted, they knew to be true, was gone. And they still could come to God and tell Him. They could come and say, God, I turn to you, and tell you I can't sing today? 
And God, I'm going to come to you and tell you what hatred and anger is in my heart. And you know what? God can take that. On those days when it's the worst day ever, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm that understands that. God can take our human emotions and listen to them. He can hear us when we come to him. And in fact, he would rather us come to him and yell at him and tell him what's going wrong with our life than for us to come to him and start out with God. You know, we accept the blessings that you've given us. And we're, God's going, I want to hear from you for real. What, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? It was the worst of times, and God can take that. He knows how we react, and he's ready to hear us when things are terrible. Okay, that was the worst of times. Let's switch to the best of times. So in, so there we are, that was the worst day ever. Well, the best of times happened later on. So they had been in Babylon they had lived there. They'd kind of established themselves over time. They'd gotten a little bit organized and set themselves up. And they survived as refugees in this country, country where they'd been forced to move to. <clears throat> and for 70 years, they'd continued. They'd actually held on to their Jewishness and they'd held on to their knowledge of God. And there were priests and there were Levites who continued to teach the people. And they kind of made the best of what was a horrible situation. <clears throat> and sometime in those 70 years, so... It had been Assyria had been like the, the superpower for a while, and then Babylon had conquered them, and Babylon was a superpower. Well, the next one was Persia, and Persians came in and took over the Babylonian Empire and actually had done what that psalm said. They had done to Babylon what Babylon had done to Israel. And the Israelites probably were cheering that that had happened. So Persia, the king of Persia, takes over, and he says, maybe it's time for some of these Israelites to go back home. And so he started encouraging people to move back to Judah, to go back. And he actually funded some of their travel back. And if you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's, it's the return. It's people after 70 years, of, 70 years after Jerusalem fell, they'd been in Babylon. They started their travel back and they got back to Jerusalem. And it was a mess. Like nothing had happened since they'd been gone except wild animals had moved in and trees had grown up through the rubble. But they got to move back, and they started to rebuild. And they started to rebuild the temple. That's the story in Ezra. The story of Nehemiah is when they start to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. People started farming the land again, taking back the land that had been theirs. Now, compared to what Psalm 137 talks about, we're going to look at Psalm 126, because Psalm 126 is when they got back. And this is the best of times. This is... They can't believe that God actually delivered on his promise. It was so bad before, and now all of a sudden it's better. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. This is one of those times they couldn't believe how lucky they were how blessed they were. God, 70 years earlier, when they were in, first went to Babylon, it was over. God had destroyed them. They'd given up. He'd, the, the promises, they didn't know what had happened to them. They, uh, <clears throat> everything was wrong. And then over time, another generation came, another generation, and suddenly the blessings started to flow again. 
And the promises began to make sense. God was going to bless the rest of the world through Israel. God was going to give them back their land. And they move back and suddenly they can't do anything but sing. They went digging through the bush to find their harps. On the way back, they went looking to where their grandfather threw it in the bush somewhere and they found it again because they couldn't help but sing. Here they are. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. They couldn't believe how fortunate they were that this blessing would happen. Have you ever had one of those days? Had those experiences? Where God blesses you beyond what you even dreamed about. What you hoped for, what you imagined, and suddenly something happens. And you can't help but sing. It's just coming out of you. You don't even need your harp. It just comes out. You're just so excited. Circumstances work out. And everybody around you knows that a miracle happened. There's no denying the fact that this was way outside anything else that could have happened. You know, we hear about that once in a while in our church. People tell us stories. Rick and um, Miranda got money for a down payment for a house. Just out of the blue. Rick told us this story a few weeks ago. But there's no explanation for it other than God stepped in and gave him a miracle. Della. Nice to see you. How are your knees? God healed Della's knees. Della's a runner. And for her to run, she needs knees that work. And she was prayed over and her knees have been better since then. God steps in and does things. And suddenly from us, from inside of us, we can no longer keep quiet. We've got to sing about it. We've got to tell people. We're just overwhelmed. And that happens. And on those days, those best days, there's a psalm for that. God knows that that happens once in a while. There are times when we're in despair and frustration, and there's times when God blesses us beyond what we can imagine. So let's keep going through the psalm, the last half of it. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow, sow with tears of joy will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. Restore us, God. We went out weeping. We cried all the way across the desert when we were hauled away to Babylon. But now we're coming back. Our mouths are full of songs and our arms are full of sheaves. We can't even carry all the harvest we've got. Actually, when you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back to, to Jerusalem, the king actually gave them the stuff that they had ripped out of the the tabernacle or the temple before they left. He gave them back the sacred objects and said, here, you need to put these back in your temple when you get it built. They gave them money. They, they sent them with stuff. They came back with Israel with so much stuff. They'd gone with nothing. They'd gone chained together and hauled across the desert. And when they came back, they came back with horse and riders protecting them. They came back with tons of gold and silver and livestock and money and food. And God blessed them in ways that... that they went out with weeping and they came back sowing seeds of joy. This is the best day ever psalm. There's a psalm for the worst day ever and there's a psalm for the best day ever. And in this case, the Israelites, they couldn't help but sing. It just bubbled out of them. Their harps, they were, they were harvesting their crops with their harp in their hand. They couldn't stop singing because it was... It was such an incredible miracle what had happened. <clears throat> and God is there for that too. So on the worst day ever, God is okay. He can take that. If you're yelling at him and crying at him and weeping at him, he can take that. 
And on the best day ever, when you just can't help but sing and you can't even find the words to tell God how you feel, God's okay with that too. He can take that. He can hear it from us. In the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. This could be a long series this summer to go through them all. But there are psalms for everything. There are psalms for days that you are excited about God and singing to him. There are psalms about days where you have messed up and you just need to come and tell God you're so sorry. There's psalms for that. There's psalms for when you need peace. There's psalms when you don't know the direction to go and you're going, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's next for me. There's psalms about that. Psalms is a book of songs, of poems, that express the full range of human emotions. There is a psalm for that. However you're feeling, wherever you are, there's a psalm for that. A few years ago, I uh, applied for a job, and I submitted my application. I wrote an exam. I did an interview. It was all going really well, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get this promotion. And then somebody that I reported to gave me a reference, and she didn't give me a very good reference. And, it, and the guy who was running the competition called me, and he said, you know what? He said, you did so well all the way through, but that reference blew it for you. And, and I went and talked to her, and I said, when I talked to you about giving me a reference, you said you could give me a good reference. And I, I feel like at my job, I do a good job. I, I try my best. I'm pretty competent in what I do, and I thought I was pretty good. And she said, oh, no, it was a good reference. I said, well, you know, it cost me that promotion. And I was angry, and I was mad, and it was unfair. And I, I mean, at first you think, what am I going to do? Well, you go and you talk to God about it. And you don't go and start singing praise songs and saying, God, I'm so, just so happy today. You go and you tell God what you think and how you feel. And inside of me, there was that anger and hatred that was bubbling up. And I'm thinking, God, I need to tell you this. Because I feel like I was treated very unfairly. I don't know what God's purpose in that was. Well, actually, what I, one purpose I know is that had I taken that job, I'd be in Edmonton and not in Winnipeg. But, uh, <clears throat> so I got to come to Winnipeg. Because eventually I got a, a different job offer and I came here. But it, there are days when things just go against you. And God is okay with that. Come and tell him. Tell him what you think. Express your heart to him. Better to express it to him than to other people. God is ready to hear from us when we've taken our harp and thrown it in the bush in anger or despair. Something terrible has happened. God's okay with that. And he's also ready for our best days, for days when our tears suddenly bring forth blossoms and flowers. He's ready for that. He can take that. He's loved to hear from us. When the harvest starts happening in a desert, when our arms are full with, with whatever we're collecting and our songs are just bubbling out of us, God is ready for that. He's okay. He wants to hear from us wherever we are, from the worst day ever to the best day ever. He wants to hear from us. When I do my Bible reading, and I do Bible reading pretty regularly, I try and work the Psalms into my, kind of, into my readings. And I don't know that I've ever sat down and read all 150 in one go. That's a lot of Psalms. But I do sections of psalms, and sometimes for a month I'll read psalms, and I'll work through one of the books. I don't know if you remember in Dave's sermon, he talked there's five books in the book of psalms. It's kind of divided into five sections. I might take a section of those, and I'll read them over a few weeks. 
Because I want to know where the Psalms are that deal with when I'm angry or when I'm upset or when I need repentance or when I want to sing together with other people. I want to know where those Psalms are. And they, it, it's a different kind of Bible reading than reading the stories of the Old Testament or reading the Gospels. It's a different kind. It's about the human emotions. But Dave Perry told us that the Psalms are the fuel for worship. Sometimes it's a positive fuel and sometimes it's more negative, but it's the fuel. It's what drives us to talk to God and he, and he wants to hear from us wherever we are. Andrea, a couple weeks ago, said that Psalms are an inner reservoir of intimacy with God. Being intimate with God means you tell him what you think. It doesn't mean you put on a happy face and you come and you sing happy songs. There are times when you come with other songs. But it's about that intimacy, that you're there with him. Whatever circumstance we're in, there's a psalm for that. And I want you to encourage you to look in the psalms and get to know them, to see what they have to say. And remember that there's a psalm for whatever feeling you've got, whatever the circumstances are happening to you, wherever you are in your relationship with God, there's a psalm for that. Now, as I close, I want to remind you that we have people who'd love to pray with you. If you're in one of those worst day evers, and you need prayer, there's people who would like to pray with you after the service. Pastor Aaron would be happy to talk to you. I'd be happy to talk to you. There's people up here. You can come forward. Even if it's not the worst day ever, if it's just somewhere in between and there's something that you need prayer about, the church is here to pray with you on that. We're here to pray with you because that's part of the worship experience. There's a psalm for that. The worst day ever, the best day ever, or somewhere in between. God is there and willing to hear from us, wants to hear from us, and wants to hear from us honestly and directly. There's a psalm for that.